Hey there, ghosties. This is your boy, Sam Gilstrap, bringing you episode 63 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Today, we sat down with local comedian and good friend of mine since way back in middle school, Ronell Hardin. We talk about how his comedic voice developed over the course of his young days as a youth in Denver and what he hopes it becomes down the road in the post-pandemic world. We'll get there together. Now, Dan, give me War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. your boy sam gilstrap back again this is episode 63 of the ghost lights podcast i hope you've had a wonderful february i know i'm about to close out my february with a bang i've got an old friend and when i say old friend i don't mean like i did a show with this guy 10 years ago i mean i had a fight with this guy in middle school ron l hardin stand-up comedian brother what's up well, how you doing, my man? It's been a long while. How you feeling? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty damn good. I'm doing pretty damn good. I gotta say, <laughs> an old fight. Oh my yeah. god! I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm I want to thank you for introducing me, having me in. But you, it, the start off is like, oh snap! Yeah. Oh, we, we, memory lane. Are we about to go? Back oh, we, to memory we have lane? to go down memory lane. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know, Sam Gilstrap is a man of decent carriage and has been for some time. What I mean by carriage is um, when I take my shirt off, I look like somebody ate Ryan Gosling as opposed to being Ryan Gosling. I don't have that V anymore. Like, you know, that V that goes straight down to the good stuff, like the feet. Um, so anyway, when I was in middle school, uh, my first my first middle school experience, I was at Stedman. It was Stedman Elementary. It wasn't middle school. So we were fifth. Not no, 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 no. It was. It had to be sixth grade because I didn't go to Stedman. I went to Gove. You went to Gove. I went to, I went to Gove, and I went to Corey Elementary out in South Denver. Oh, that's right, that's right. All right, sixth grade. We're in the gym. Ronell is uh, ragging on me because I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big, I'm a big man. I'm husky, and I'm trying my best in gym. <laughs> I think we're trying to climb the ropes or some stuff, and Greenstein is yelling at me. Oh, Mr. Greenstein. Uh, Greenstein's got you know. <laughs> Greenstein's yelling at me because he, what he wants to say is get up the rope, you, you you fatty. And and he is not able to do that because he is a teacher and he is not as drunk as he normally gets by the end of the day. And if Greenstein's <laughs> listening to this podcast, this is all hearsay. I have no confirmation of this. <laughs> so he's mad that I can't climb the rope. Ronell is cracking <laughs> jokes at the bottom of the rope. And he's got a large population of kids in the class laughing with him. Anyway, I'm really upset and I'm suing about it. And I let it go. I let it go. And we go, we go into the locker room. He's still making fun of me. I'm ignoring him. I'm letting it go. <laughs> I, get, I get dressed up. He gets dressed up. Our next class is together. Oh. He's, he's, he's teasing me in class from the other side of the room. And he keeps teasing me. It's about 10 minutes into the class. And I just stand up and I scream at him. 
shut the fuck up right now as loud and as crazy as I possibly can. He makes a joke about how crazy I am. The entire classroom laughs. I step outside. The teacher at this time, like she was a substitute. She had no idea what was going on. And I just, <laughs> I just took my own, you know, five minute break to collect myself on my own. Cause I knew I needed it. I needed to do some self care and I stepped out <laughs> and five minutes go by and I walk back into class and no one's looking at me. No one's talking to me except Ronell in the corner of the room, smiling at me. Cause he got my ass. <laughs> and then after that, we never had problems. We never had problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well one i mean first and foremost i have to apologize that i mean we're like this the world that we're in now i mean i couldn't even imagine being labeled a bully oh yeah i couldn't even like the world we're in now and they'd be like oh ronnell's a bully ronnell's a bully no i mean i'll tell you this i've had jokes for a while mm -hmm. and when you say i had a population of kids behind me no that's public school <laughs> they didn't pay to see me they hadn't they didn't pay <laughs> No. So no, uh, I mean, first and foremost, I got to apologize in the sense of we're old now, but that was, wow. I mean, let's just say we were not, let's just be happy that Instagram and the camera thing and the phone, because just imagine how many times that would have viraled and went back and over and over that, and again, and we would have had to see it until high school was Don, over. Ronnell, that would have been the least of my worries that day. I, you don't know how many times I gave presentations in front of the class in sweatpants with an erection. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to show out. I'm not excited, but I was one of those kids that wanted to hide my body as best I could. So I was always in sweatpants and I'm just yeah. standing up there talking about history. Like in 1945, we dropped a bomb at Hiroshima and then I'm just like at full mast. <laughs> and and hey. if we had social media back then, I would have been dead. One of the things I admired about you even back then, though, too, is that, like, and say, I, I was always rather envious, is you guys were smart. There was, there was like a handful of you guys that were just smart. Like, it wasn't like we all read it and figured it out. It was like, you guys already kind of knew this stuff. Mm. Like, it would be, we would, I mean, I'm not going to BS, it would be like math. And we'd be talking about it and you'd be like, yo, like just carry the one. Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like you guys were, you guys had like, like more, I guess, like educational wit than let's just say like myself. So one of the things that let's say when we get to comedy that I utilize to be able to be, let's say on the same level as some of my cohorts in, 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 middle school, high school, and subsequently college was humor. Like at the end of the day, I knew that I wasn't the smartest person here, but if we're all laughing, you'll never know. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, if you guys are all like, and so then where even with the bullying thing, like that, like there's sometimes like, you may not be the bully. You may actually just be like a class clown somewhat, but then it gets out of hand because no different than drugs, that laughter is 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 something that'll keep you going it's you know addictive. like you ever yeah you ever tell a joke that like you ever tell like the eighth joke 
trying to ring out all as many <laughs>, laughs as you can yeah. in the room. Uh-huh. And you're like, all right, guys, no more fart jokes. We're done. We're done. We're done. But but that that laughter is a is a, is a is a heroin yeah. that you can't that that you can't get no place else but except that like as you said uh, a large population of kids you can't get that without a large population such as a room yeah. and, you know <clears throat> i miss yeah, it yeah yeah the, i mean back then we had a captive audience i mean your mama jokes like the the kids the, i teach at a school now and we don't have those pockets like we had back then because it all moved online but when mm-hmm. when i was a kid when me and ronell went to class together it was little pockets on the basketball court over on the field, telling jokes, making fun of each other's mothers, making fun of each other. But there was never animosity. The best part about the story between me and Ronell is he's ragging on me. I blow up. I come back in. He's looking at me. He knows he got me the next day. (laughs) The next day we're in gym on the same basketball team. And he's patting me on the back and he's, and he's, and he's working with me. And now he's including me in the jokes. And that's how it was for the rest of our lives growing up. I love the fact that we're having Ronell on the episode on the podcast today, because we went through middle school together. High school came and went, we went through college. We went through those years. I would go out to the bar in the neighborhood or whatever and I'd bump into Ronell, and it was like we were still in school, and we were oh, and we we're, we're buddies. It was there was no animosity, and I I mean I'm not saying like our generation is capable of that more so than the current generation. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, Ronell as an individual, and Sam Gilstrap as an individual, were smart enough to put teasing aside once we were aware that that's what it was. Yeah, and I mean, and it, and nothing ever lasted a day yeah. in our world. Like we were, you know, when you were uh, a teen, if something happened, like people got into a fight the next day, we didn't know who got into a fight yesterday. I mean, we talked about, and let's say at most it lasted till Friday. Mm-hmm. By the weekend, nobody oh. cared. Like it didn't, it, it was never like, it, it was never like something that would torment you the rest of your life. I mean, there's some things in high school that probably could have, but like we're in middle school, you get into a fight, you you know, get kicked out of class. Mm-hmm. Now, the world that we're in, you can't not like whatever's going to happen to you is going to happen to you in slow mo. Yeah. Later, yeah. you're going to see it again. Mm-hmm. Like you got punched. Did you see him? Your head went <laughs> oh, to the man. left. Like <laughs> you yeah. know, people. You know, people are cruel. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 the camera only makes it that that much different. So I'm I'm grateful to have gone to middle school with you when we mm. did because we got we were able to just to do what we did mm. and not have to worry about the consequences the rest of Absolutely. our lives and, and i think one of the things that you touched on earlier is like whatever that was coming from it was never personal now that's not always the case but in our instance oh, yeah. it was it was just your turn yeah, it was just your turn it was, just, it was just your turn. And I don't, I don't want to make fun times. of myself, so you're up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for me, I mean, I've been short, skinny, and ugly for quite a while. Whoa, I mean, whoa, it's whoa, not, not like because you're on the podcast. Oh, you've got. I mean, you've got the face for podcasts. 
I mean, I have I, I've been on radio. I was doing radio for a long time. People love this. People love hearing this face, but that's because it doesn't work. No, I, I can't. I can't. No. Um, I mean, for me, I mean, growing up, I mean, getting I, I never can. I never thought somebody talking about my physical features as like bullying. Mm-hmm. I really just kind of looked at it like, I mean, at some point, it, you know, you'd feel bad. But it's not like they were like coming up and telling me like, oh, Ronell, you're fat. Like, no, you're lying. Mm-hmm. You're definitely not fat. They'd be like, yeah, you're skinny. You weigh 99 pounds. It's like, you know, you're right. You know, you're right. And so one of the things that got me like where comedy kind of played in for me is it was easy for me to accept who I was fast. Like I didn't have to wait till I was like 22, 23, 24 to go, dude, you're short, you're skinny, you're ugly. Mm-hmm. Relax. Go out here. Do something, make some money, chill, go find something to do, but don't worry about what other people think about you mm-hmm. appearance-wise. That wasn't something, I, I didn't have to deal with that in high school. Yeah. I already know. You know, it wasn't like I woke up like, <gasps> do I look better today? Mm-hmm. No, same results. Let's go get this B. <laughs> <laughs> And I knew that. Now, and I'm not saying I know exactly who I was, but I mean, like to say, it wasn't. I, I wasn't about to walk into a room and girls are going to be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> now, but it, let's just say humor was always something that um, that I kind of used. Actually, I was telling my mom this story maybe about a year ago. Middle school, Gove Middle School is where my whole comedy had to start. And I'll tell you, uh, I started listening to um, Chris Rock. Mm. I had listened to Eddie Murphy before, but I had listened to Chris Rock's uh, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Bring the Pain. Bring the pain. It was 1996. It was like his first um, HBO special. It's called Bring the Pain. And so I used to talk and emulate Chris Rock. Like that was like my vernacular. Like my like my mom would be like, "You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry." You know, <laughs> <laughs> like and uh, I would watch like uh, like. Um, uh, what was the movie? Uh, New Jack City. Oh. So I'd be sitting in there and be like, Mama, can we get something to eat? Can we, can we, get, can we get something to eat? And she's like, Ronnell, stop. Like, I was that kid who never made it all the way through dinner. Like, I was definitely about to get sent to my room <laughs> because I can't. Like, I got six brothers and sisters. I'm going to say something. Yeah. I'm going to say something wrong. And so, um, <clears throat> so the bit, be it that I started emulating Chris Rock. And so then I ended up, uh, there was a girl in school in class. And if you remember, don't remember, I'll say her name because if she hits me up, that'd be cool. No, I can't. I can't. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, that's not cool. uh, She, um, no, Rubik, no shooter. Rubik over here. Um, uh, yeah. No, <laughs> no, we're good. Um, but she, uh, so I, I, I like was on a sixth grade. I liked mm-hmm. her. And I was telling my mom this, it's like, hey, mom, there's a girl in school. And my mom was, uh, you remember cell phones got real big in the early mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Sprint got real big, and my mom was on the phone, like uh, talking. My mom was a bonds lady, so she did bonds, so she was always on the phone, always on the phone. And so, um, my uh, one day I go to my mom, I'm like, Mom, I like this girl in school. I want to, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't want to, you know, you know, like kind of what's up? How does this work? My mom's on the phone. She's like, Yeah, we gotta, we gotta do something. We'll get that all done. We'll get that handled. We'll, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on. What? What? A girl. Make her laugh. Yeah, we'll be there. Two o'clock, three o'clock, we'll make it. And that was the conversation. Yeah. That was the conversation. And so for me, like from from that point on, I, you know, trying to make her laugh kind of became 
really the, the motive. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and older and uglier and uglier, I found out that it works and works. And so I stick with, I stuck with it. Okay. I'm gonna, don't mind me. I'm just putting that in my notes. Make her laugh. <laughs> yeah. right. hey, you remember that show? Uh, the, <laughs> what was the show with uh, the, 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 the winter is coming? That, uh, oh. you know, the, the winter where the guy, Ga- Ga- the winter is Game of Thrones, King of, Game of Thrones. Right. And so they had that little kid and the little kid. They stuck him in a room with a bunch of women. Mm. Right. And then they gave him money and stuck him in a room with a bunch of women. And then they came back and he came back all happy, shirt all messed up. And he had the money and he gave him the money back. He was like, they didn't take any money from me. I need details. Mm copious copious details <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that was like the only episode that i watched but i love that episode <laughs> nice that those are those are rules i mean that's a rule for life like you can make somebody laugh you can open up the conversation like you can have the conversation Always. finally um oh yeah you talked about chris rock emulating that um his character new jack city what where did your like oh i'm gonna do stand-up comedy where did that idea come from the i i mean really my friends Mm. um i mean being drunk at a bar in my 20s and they're like it's open mic night my friends are like you know you're stupid right Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. i got jokes and so i you know i tried it the first time i tried it i was probably 20 23 24 and i bombed i like forgot how to talk i like drank like so i drank like probably like four or five crown and cokes and then they're like ronnell harden and i'm like who is that like yeah, ronnell harden never heard of him and i went up there and just forgot who who i was i mean i had like drank myself out of um pretty much out out of consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, you know, out of fear. And so that actually stopped me. I didn't get back on stage until my, I was like 28. It took me about five years to get back on stage. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm fibbing. I lived in Italy uh, for a small period of time and I got on stage there, but nobody spoke English mm-hmm. but me. So it was, they had to laugh. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it was a confidence booster, so I'll take that. But the first time I got on, like, stage stage, there was a really uh, really good comic here in the city. He's from, like, North Carolina or something, but his name's uh, Anthony uh, Crawford, a really good comic. Um, he was running us, I think, down in Devon's Pub down in South Denver. And, uh, you know, just out one day, you know, just sitting at home, and I was like, I need to get up and go, you know, somewhere. I went to go have a smoke a cigar because Devon's Pub was like a cigar mm-hmm. bar. I went to go smoke a cigar and it was open mic night. And they were like, you know, come on up if you want. I put my name down and I sat down. I listened for about, you know, an hour and I just jotted ideas in my head. Like from, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I used to emulate Chris Rock and, and uh, Chris Tucker uh, because these were the people of like the 90s who were like really, really funny, like Eddie Griffin. I used to just emulate these people because that was what, it was just kind of the easiest way to get my form out. Like I didn't have, I didn't have a comic form at any point, but my comedy came from like these people who I would listen to, um, you know, pretty regularly. And so I, that's just how I spoke. That's just how I 
you know, how I talked and how I got, you know, got away with, uh, you know, what I did. And so, <clears throat> so like with um, comedy now, I'm, I'm just trying to stay, you know, with mm -hmm. it, being that the situation that we're in COVID, it's just been tough. You can't get stage time as easily as it was before. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, not that there's not places to do it. There's a couple places to do it, not like it was, you know, pre-COVID, but it's just not as easy to do. I mean, there's still 500 hungry sharks out here and there's only two or three places to get stage time. Yeah. You know, so it's actually, it's really tough right now, but you know, just gotta stay with it. When you say staying with it, like, are you, how has your comedic voice evolved? You were getting, you were pulling information or should say you were pulling a form from com comedians who had done it before you. I'm assuming over the course of this and after listening to the sample you sent us, and hopefully we'll get a chance to listen to that later, you, you definitely have your own voice. And I just want to see where and how that manifested. Well, um, it all kind of really stems from being short, ugly, and skinny. I mean, let's say the world that I come from, I grew up in East Denver, you know, early 90s, mid 90s, a lot of violence, drugs, that life and the way you would separate yourself from the people who were really ingratiated with it was to joke with mm -hmm. them. You know, there was kids at Gove that were just an instant fight. Like you couldn't not fight them. Yeah. Like how you and I, how I was able to make fun of you and you were able to just walk away from it. There was kids there that you couldn't even say, hey, you forgot the homework, mm -hmm. you know, and it, like it wasn't an altercation of some sort. So in, in the world of that I came from, you had to have a defense mechanism to deal with the BS and humor was really it for me and how my comedy evolved from let's just say wanting to talk to that girl uh, in sixth grade to now is just life just life itself um it's it, you just have to like as a comic it's really just you take life you put it in your dishwasher and then you put the dishes up the way you want and then you open the cupboards and let people laugh at the way you put it up but you got to know you have to take the dirtiness that comes with you know the food of life mm -hmm. you know and that and that's where I think I I thrive that's where I get a lot a large portion of my material like even like I have a joke and uh I use it I've used it probably every set I've ever done in the sense of I know it works and it's probably one of the realest jokes I've ever put together and it's um, I'd love to be a deadbeat dad, but her mom beat me to the punch. <laughs> I said that serious. I didn't even say it as a joke. I say it so serious because this is life. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, there's not a joke that I can say, like, I just totally made it up. No, I might have embellished and exaggerated. But 98% of that either happened or is my life. Sure. There was my life at a period in time. Mm -hmm. And so where material is easy to come about as long as you're living you know you know drake said it a lot of people die um everybody dies but not everybody lives mm. well comics i think are doing the optimum living because they live and then they take that life and polish it and put it together and then 
or recycle it. However, and then they, you know, like redirect that art into something that makes people laugh. You know, I mean, I'm not saying dead babies is cool, but there's some really good dead baby jokes out there. And that's because comics have the ability to, to, to turn, you know, trash into treasure. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's an enlightened take. I mean, I've, I've often kind of felt like, I mean, for example, like, uh, Dave Chappelle is like my dude. Like I, Legendary. Yeah, he's a legend. And his, his, like, like when I laughed about his, the baby on the corner selling weed way back in the day, like, oh, that was so genius. And now I listen to like Sticks and Stones and uh, um, the Equivocation uh, or whatever that was, uh, an even Redemption song now. I'm still laughing at chunks of that, even though that seems really introspective and more of a journal shared with the audience as opposed to a set of jokes and i think you're absolutely right there's this there's for some comedians depending on how they want to go about making people laugh a lot of what they do is look at the world that we all inhabit and try and reflect that in a way that we can all understand it now their voice is going to be different from from person to person obviously like mm. dave Chappelle is going to make racial jokes that if i were a comedian bill burr for example he can't necessarily make the same jokes dave Chappelle can make and vice versa oh. because like there's yeah. two different lives and yet they're two very honest and raw comedians totally and i and even with the Dave Chappelle thing, where you say about the evolution as the comic, if you listen to, um, let's go with the rapper, for example, let's use Jay-Z, for example, where if you listen to Jay-Z's early albums, it wasn't the quality of what he said that made him really good. It was the quality of how he said it. That's what made, let's say, Jay-Z really, really good in the earlier years now not not to say what he was saying was bad but he, what he said was really good and he said it really or he, he was saying what he said really well in constructs of rapping mm-hmm. then as you get older the times kind of change you know like where let's say jay-z for example was singing about money cash hoes in the early 2000s you know when you're doing really well he's still doing it really well because he's really good at rapping that's his thing but then the evolution changed now jay-z's raps his rapping is secondary to what he's saying. Like when he says, um, uh, he, he went to change clothes. You know, he told everybody to get out of jerseys and start wearing button ups. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, do you know why, uh, uh, what's better than throwing money in the strip club? Credit, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the best rap, but the quality of what he's saying yeah. has elevated. And I say that with Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, in his first two, three specials, the jokes were just so good. Like, joke, boom, joke, boom, joke, boom. But now if you listen to the last two or three things that he's released, especially the thing where he was talking about how they stole from him, Mm -hmm. the joke isn't, the quality is not in the joke. The quality is in what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like where the baby said the baby mm-hmm. selling weed, that was funny. Those were quality yeah. jokes. 
not necessarily something that we would go out and talk about regularly or routinely. But now the quality of what he's saying, we will go out and talk about somebody taking your, your ideas, somebody stealing your, your, your rhymes or somebody stealing your jokes. We'll go about that. And then you not getting paid. Yeah. And then who is your real boss? Mm-hmm. The real boss ain't the people who give you the check. It's the people who reach out to you, the, your fans, the people who actually pay to see you. That's yeah. your real boss. And he showed us that with what he did with um, the thing for Netflix about playing yeah. the Chappelle show. So it's not about the quality of what uh, what he was early because the jokes were good. Yeah. Now, not to say the jokes are bad, but there's much more quality in what he's actually saying. And I think that comes with life. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think what he's <laughs> done, I mean, like we, I mean, there's a specific joke I'm referencing from a stand-up special about this baby on the corner selling weed. He's sitting in the back of a limo waiting for his limo driver to get back from the inside of this. Um, I think it's a project building, like an apartment set of a compartment mm-hmm. complexes. Gun store, gun store, liquor store, gun store. Where are you taking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Actually, Dave, I did know I couldn't do that. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> so I love it. But like, so he tells this joke about this baby selling weed and the absurdity of a toddler, an infant able to articulate what he's doing and that what he's doing is a crime makes us laugh. And we are not quite (laughs) picking up on the fact that there are teenagers, middle schoolers on that same corner in every neighborhood selling weed. That's the message, but he's got to sell it to you in an absurdist way. Mm -hmm. And you either pick up on that or it it's just funny. And I'm sitting here as a 37 year old man listening to you talk right now and go like, Oh shit. That's what the whole point of that baby was. It was, (laughs) it was an absurd way to distill the horror, the horror of kids, kids having to sell drugs. And, but the joke was so awesome. Yeah. So now that he he's so solid, he could just come flat out and say mm-hmm. it. They stole from yeah. me. And we go, oh, you're so good. Yeah. But I mean, he the way he did it is, you know, that it's it's yeah. real artful. It's, I mean, it's it, it turns into like prolific after a certain and that's and that's why he's a legend. And I've I I call him the voice of my generation. Like I used to love George Carlin. And then George Collin passed away, RIP. And then I got Dave Chappelle, and I'm like, okay. I Speaking of George Carlin, I have Uh-oh. something I want to show you. It, I want to show you. Let me step away for two seconds. It's Napalm and Silly Putty. I don't want to read it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. So I'm going to show you the rest of the, this. I'm going to show you the rest Ooh. of this. So, okay. George Carlin vinyl? George Carlin, it's on the vinyl, right? Yeah. So George Carlin did a comedy special on September 10th, 2001. Uh-huh. Yep. September 10th, 2001. <laughs> MGM, right? Mm-hmm. And the name of this, of the, the, the special yeah. was called I Like It, uh, I Kind of Like It, when a lot of people died. Oh. He did the 9th and 10th 
the day before the 9th and 10th in Las Vegas of September in 2001. I like it when a lot of people die. September 11th, I don't know what I don't know what we call a lot of people anymore from mass shootings to pandemics. I don't know what we call a lot of people, but I think 9-11 is still quantifies as a lot of people. And so this tape was kind of like buried for a long, long time. And then he ended up redoing it. Uh, it ended up coming out, but it there's some stuff on here that's not that didn't. Make. Have you listened to it? That's still in the plastic. <laughs> no, the plastic's on it, but oh. yeah, I've definitely listened oh, okay. to it. I uh, my girlfriend bought me a record player, like one of those handheld record, like those record player portables, mm-hmm. like you pick it up and take it yes. with me. And I this is the first thing I listened nice. to because I've been I had bought this months and months mm-hmm. ago. You were talking about it last time yeah. we were like hanging out with some old middle school friends. Oh yeah, 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 and so I. Oh my God, it's uh, it's beyond craziness. So when you say that professorical, that prolificness for a comedy, this is exactly that, exactly. That. And I don't want to give it away. I want people to go buy. It. Yeah, definitely. I mean, perfect, perfect timing. It was something George Carlin always had until that special. I mean, he was perfect. I mean, put it like this: he slid, he slid the cheese right as somebody was putting the sandwich down, mm-hmm. and they were like, "No, you can't. No, no, you can't. We can't yeah, eat you that. Get that. You got to pull the cheese out of it. You got to get the cheese out of it. Who puts Limburger on a sub sandwich? Get that out of here." But you know how, like, when you try to put cheese on, when you put cheese on something, and then you try to take it off, you never get all the cheese off. That's how I feel. You just get every time I get a salad <laughs> at a restaurant, like. Why are you putting cheddar cheese on this salad? Like I made the yeah, salad then choice. To, <laughs> then you try to scrape it off, and there's still a cheddar strip yeah. in there. You're like, man, what, <laughs> just give me the fried chicken. I just need the, <laughs> give me the wings now. It's you ruined it. I was trying to be oh. good. Now I need wings and dipping sauce. I well, I guess I mean one of the things is uh, I gotta, I guess I, I want to flip it on you because I but, I do a radio show in here in the city. I've been, um, I was doing radio uh, for Mile High Sports until about a month ago, um, so I could focus on my set my career mm-hmm. with, uh, I do mortgages now and also, and so I got to do some interviewing to you. I mean, this is your podcast, okay. and I, I would think that all the ghosties, that's who we're yeah, talking to, ghosties, right? the ghosties. Yeah. or the gill strapped, locked, and loaded. I don't, I don't the like gill that. Strapped? Yeah, I don't like that. Who came up with um, that? What Twitter handle my, my, gave you my, that one? My big, my big fan, uh, um, Bobby Nathan. He's he's a friend of the pod. Gill strapped, yeah, strapped and it's loaded. Like, get the locked out of there. It's gill strapped and loaded. Gill strapped and yeah. loaded. And I just like okay. Uh, I like it. It's funny. I don't real like my, my, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it's my, my my fans are my ghosties. Let's keep it innocent right now. The ghosties. The ghosties. Okay. Nice. The, the, the ghost T- T-shirts know. are coming one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a ghosty. Nice. I will definitely rock the ghost. And what you do, remain next year, you send it the next time when I do. Because what am I? Uh, number 63? 63. So when I'm on like 204, yeah. I have a shirt. Come back. Like, hey, 63 repeat. Oh, yeah. That's what I got to do. I got to get the T-shirts made for former guests. And have them take oh, selfies sure. Oh, sure. and promote that on Instagram. That'd be a nice day. Yeah, but so I so I wanted to do a little bit of interviewing you. Well, at first I'm going to introduce you. One because 
I did my little bit of research too. Uh -oh. So with that said, I'm going to move a little bit forward and introduce everybody in the ghost world, in the ghost land podcast world, that Sam Gilstrap is a man of many faces. He has, he has done a handful, <laughs> a handful of credits to his thing in theater all across the state. There's some Boulder company, some Arvada company. I think he was even working at the Playhouse uh, in Denver. Is that right there off of Federal in 26? Oh man, God. Back in the day, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know Sam Gilstrap. He's the man. He did guards at the Jet. The Taj. Ooh, out in Boulder. Out in Taj. Boulder. He did waiting with the Godot. Is it Godot or Godot? Uh, waiting for Godot. Waiting for Godot. Yeah. And that was out at the Arvada Center. Yeah, no? absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> nice, nice. Y'all sell out the place? Oh, yeah. You sell out Are the you place? Are you kidding me? It's, it's okay. Samuel now Beckett. The two of the best actors in town not named Sam Gilstrap. <laughs> Oh snap! Well, uh -oh, uh -oh, let's make right. that. Let me let me be fair. Three of them, three of the best actors, not named Sam Gilstrap. <laughs> all right, all right. And then my favorite, my favorite bus stop, which was that that was in the black box. That was like yeah. in the little tiny. I, I understudied like, bus stop. <laughs> you understudied yeah. that? So I might not have been the best actor in, in waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you played the part, and I don't know if y'all know, but you can hire this man. You can get him on the phone, but you can't call him directly. You better call his agent at Radical Artists. You would definitely probably get a dial tone because when I called, they didn't get they didn't get me directly to whoever your agent oh, is. So you should probably check on that. All right, the, <laughs> the Kathys. I know you haven't hit me up in a long time, and you probably don't listen to this podcast, but listen to my boy Ronell. Yeah. So I'm gonna say this. With that said. Further ado, the ghosties already know who you is. I got Sam Gilstrap in the house, oh, okay. and he's being hosted by Ronnie Hart. That's right. Welcome, welcome everybody. <laughs> it's a podcast within a podcast. It's like Christopher Nolan. Sometimes I got to take over. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Christopher Nolan, but this movie you can follow. <laughs> yeah, um, almost like Twitter. Baby. I, I keep. So with that said, I did. I did my research on you. I had to. I had to because it was one of those things. Like I didn't know how ingratiated in a the theater world you oh. were. And so then we had to sit down, like I said, with some friends. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you've done a bunch of stuff. Then, obviously, we tweet people, we Google people. Mm -hmm. And your credits were long. Thank you. Like, you've done a great deal of work mm -hmm. inside the theater world here in, in Colorado. So, I mean, let's just say I'm surprised that we hadn't crossed paths, like, earlier. Yeah. Be it that I, I mean, like, I gone and seen a handful of plays i went and seen wicked down at the performing arts complex so i can only and uh i, I seen hamilton later the first play i ever actually went and seen i went to go see the book of mormon in new york oh wow in 2012 wow one of the most expensive days of my life it was awesome yeah and then i then i got on the ball and started seeing wicked peter pan i got like real crazy about it nice. i tried to see rent because mm. rent came in like 2013 for like a weekend or yeah. something and it was like a million dollars it was like why wow. dude that's yeah. i mean it was it was like more expensive how than dare you know. say why that's one of the greatest musicals no, of all time. I, I didn't know <laughs> i didn't know like if if you've ever walked into somebody's house and they go this painting's worth a million dollars and you go why that's that's what i'm thinking that's like, a great well, what that's a great question the painting behind me is probably worth 50 bucks See, mine's is worth 32. Yeah, because you got $32 behind you. There you go. <laughs> what, what's this? what my goals though? Those are my goals. My goals are around. Oh. My goals are all around. So if you could read them, it's uh, it should be like golf 
radio, mortgages, investments, comedy, and health. So when are we going golfing? Whenever you want to, you know, hand some money over. I don't know. What do you want to oh, play? Oh man, you want to bet? I just want to. I just want to play bad golf with you. Oh snap! All right. Well, I try not to play bad golf. I play terrible oh. golf, but I, I I play competitively. Competitively, I like to play. I play often. Like I don't travel without my golf clubs. I'm a golfer. I'm a golf junkie. Oh no! I'm you're gonna mop the floor yeah. with me. I will definitely leave my cash at home. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, we can still play, yeah, yeah. and it's on me. Okay. Green Valley Ranch. Can you do me a favor. Can you put that chief, chief cup down? God dang! Put the, the chiefs win. Put like this. I went thirty-five years without a championship. You think I'm going to lose a championship and feel bad and stop repping my squad? Oh, no. Dang. And I'm going to tell you this: this is the first public appearance I've made since the Super Bowl. It's been a rough couple weeks, but I'm getting better. You know what I'm saying? Back-to-back Super Bowl appearances <laughs> feels good to say. You know, but it hurt. It hurt. You know, if it if it's any consolation, it would have been two straight losses if the referees knew how to call a damn holding penalty. Nick Bosa oh. got held, and you know it. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna go with what Pat Mahomes said after the clock ended. We did it. Uh huh. They still booed him in KC. They still booing that man in KC. Who Mahomes? Yeah, they, booed, they booed Mahomes. Oh, oh, that was because they were because they, t- they were talking about being united, and uh, yeah, that's the last thing was... the U.S. wants to hear. Yeah, well, <laughs> specific pockets, I should say, seventy-four million people. Oh wow, that's I mean, I, I couldn't even. I don't. I mean, I did a radio show for four years, and I talked about that day, and that was one of those rough days mm. in sports history for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, We'll, we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. Yeah. So what's your uh, what's your next endeavors though? What are you doing um, next uh, when it comes to the theaters? As of right now, um, let's get the let's get the promotion out there. In October, I I am slated to do a show that got canceled at the back in 2020 um, at Miner's Alley Playhouse. We're gonna try and do the Crucible. Um, I'll be vaccinated in the next week and a half completely hear that ghosties y'all need more me without me sam doesn't drop goods on you yeah, that's right that's what ronnell comes through and ju- get y'all some exclusives See, getting that all right that ghosties, tea. y'all gotta y'all gotta thank that's me. right let's drop <laughs> we're, we're, we're sipping some tea over here spilling the so beans. in uh so in october you're doing the crucible yeah the crucible um the arthur miller um classic and we'll be doing that um i'm i'm still signed on so i'm not i'm not going anywhere um i'm a I'm a fortunate member of the Catamount Theater Company, so whatever they need me to do, I say yeah. Um, the podcast is not going to go anywhere. Um, I've got so much time at home. I've kind of liked the pandemic from the perspective of with the time that I've had to myself, I've really focused on the podcast because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, my favorite thing to do is talk. I like to talk a lot. And if I can make friends with the people that I often just work with, That'd be really cool. Um, and then and, go ahead. And uh, so with the, so would you going back to do the crucible? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to, didn't mean to cut you, but I want to get this in before my mind slips. How is that going to change with the whole um, pandemic thing? Like I get Great that you question. will be vaccinated at the yeah. time. Is the, is the, the interaction still there? I would, because almost Oh, excuse me, I didn't no. want to cut you, but uh, with the with with the play, I mean, after rehearsing 
so many times it turns into almost a, a like a like a dance yeah. like you know where to be you know where to stand you know what to say but now that dance is missing one of the most one of the the elements of 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 life and that's touch yeah. that sense mm-hmm. is just completely gone so how will you be able to adjust with that because i do stand up so it's just me mm-hmm. i mean i touch the microphone we wipe it down hand it to the next yeah. guy you actually need her or him mm-hmm. or them to make this work absolutely so so how's that gonna happen that's um, that's a great question and um there are people out there um with the unions that have been getting behind this um, from jump street and like how to properly put on theater live theater in this pandemic world and even looking beyond in the post-pandemic world um and and hopefully we get to that time if if i'm if i'm going to take joe biden at his word at the moment because he's he's doing a little more science than the previous administration they're thinking by christmas time um there it, it the numbers should be really comfortable in terms of like they should be down enough to where we can do more people in theaters and stuff like that um like somebody can just die from a heart attack and not COVID. yeah every yeah, time we can just get back okay. to the rest of the dangerous world that we live in um, <laughs> yeah and poison ivy what? it's not COVID. Yeah, it's not COVID. <laughs> I, I can't wait for the day where i get a cold like it's just a cold yeah you like wipe your nose yeah. and not everybody tries to kill yeah, you absolutely <laughs> i mean I, I i'm using i'm using more uh, tissue paper now but anyway to answer your question um they're going to limit the number of people that are going to be in the audience um so if if miners alley sold out at like 200 patrons they're probably going to cut that down to 100 80. yeah i mean they'll, they'll limit it even maybe even less than that um space them mm-hmm. out properly the actors themselves are going to have to do a really good job of quarantining when they're not performing and in rehearsing. So that's going to be a month and a half to two months, I think of keeping ourselves isolated and staying safe, which for me at that time, I'll be teaching again, I'll be back in the building. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that works. I mean, I mean, Len, Len might not know that. So he might, he might need me to step aside. Um, I respect that decision, but let's talk about it. Len don't fire me just yet. Um, <laughs> don't say nothing that'll get you absolutely fired. Rubik's cube. Um, but um, I think I think one of one of the rumors I've heard, and I've got no confirmation on this. So the ghosties at home, when I'm talking about what this might look like, it's not going to be, um, you know, like I, I there's a possibility that there's absolutely no audience. And we just do the show every night live on Zoom and people tune in and watch us do the show to an empty house. I don't think that's a bad idea, I though. I mean, like where uh, I think it's a great idea. Well, um, Ty- Tyler Perry, mm-hmm. the early stages of the Tyler Perry shows were really almost that. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then you think every sitcom is literally exactly that. You think they walk down to the soup kitchen? No, they just turned the stage around mm-hmm. and all the cameras stayed the same spot, yep. you know, so... I mean, yeah, that's a distinct possibility. It's a distinct possibility. And I, and I guess I'm open for anything as long as it's safe. Um, I worked with the Catamounts over the summer um, on a golf course doing a show. Nice. Legacy Ridge took very good care of us. Um, I was the only one that had a COVID scare at all during that time. So we were fortunate that I was just one person. And they were, you know, everyone stayed masked and they stayed in their own separate golf carts. And they were never within 10 feet of an actor um, that mm. may be less in certain situations, but never, never shorter than six feet. 
so i mean i thought they they did a really smart way of doing theater and it's just the people and i and i know i'm not i'm not paying attention to all of the updates coming from the unions and stuff like that but i mean the those that are flexible with what their idea of theater should be are the ones that are going to not have to the the ones that are flexible with what their idea of what theater should be are going to be the ones that jump out of the gate once this gets the green light again and mm-hmm. and i and i think the people that are right now actively looking at ways to put on theater in a safe way and there's a lot of places that are doing it i know the arvada center's trying new things i know that buntport's been doing some great things there's a lot of theaters. I mean, uh, the Aurora Fox has got an interesting idea with two of my mm-hmm. closest friends doing a show, and and I and I hope that Kelly and Andrew Ulanop have a great freaking time. Maggie Tisdale is in that as well, and I hope that the audiences that are allowed into that space appreciate the effort that by which these artists everybody's put yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, these artists, these crew members, the the risks that they're taking, because as and, I, and one of the things I took away from the Redemption song with Dave Chappelle is that some of us artists don't enjoy the life we're living if we're not in front of other people. On stage. If we're not yeah, on stage. they told me 2022. I can't wait that That's long. That's right. Dave Chappelle <laughs> said it. He can't wait two more years. I can't wait and that so long. So we're trying to find a way to do this as safe as possible. And mm-hmm. we're humans and we're going to make mistakes, but we are not doing anything without thinking it through. I don't feel like any of the theater companies I've mentioned um, have rushed any of their plans and they're just throwing caution to the wind at this time. So that's a long answer to your question. I'm excited mm-hmm. for the future. There will be a future. Now let's- Any any Tom Cruises on the set? You gonna cuss everybody out? No, no, but every once, every, no, once, I every, <laughs> every once in a while, we need that Tom Cruise. We need that Tom Cruise voice. I mean. It's because I don't, again, it's not. Uh, I let, let me, let me digress before I get into this. Like, your rights are important, but conversation. Um, humanity is important. I did it anyway. Ronnell, you're a guest on my podcast. I'm flipping the tables. I'm stealing back. All right, all right, all right. You can have back. it back. You can have it back. I'm stealing it back. It's back. my pod. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. No, I mean, for me, I, I do that. I, I, I take mutinies, I take ships, and then I steer them wherever I want. I like to go to the island of Siren. One of my favorite places. Nice. Well, like I said, yeah. the flexible minds are the ones that are going to jump out of the gate. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm mm-hmm. saying yes and. The entire and yes the and, world. baby. Yeah, and so and I'm and I'm with you like with the with the theater part of it for like I know it's harder for you guys because obviously you guys are in a group, you know, three, four, five, six, seven people in the cast mm-hmm. doing stand-up it's easy for us all we have to do is really show up and stand mm-hmm. do that do our little set like i said wipe the mic down and pass it um the the hard part though is for a comic right now i would say is donald trump's out of office mm-hmm. so you don't have just like food on the floor to mm-hmm. eat and then with the pandemic it's where i think a lot of comics are gonna kind of slice this really differently because they don't want to sound like everybody else like everybody went like this thing didn't treat the rich or the 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 ugly or the tall or you know any group of people differently it's got everybody so you have to find find finally slice this pandemic thing 
And I'm really interested to see how it's going to be smacked up, flipped and rubbed down Mm -hmm. uh, on the comic scale from everybody, from comics I don't like to comics that I really love. But um, I think that that's the scary part right Mm -hmm. now with comedy is really what this pandemic is going to do for the mind. We've all been trapped in the house. Not to say we haven't been able to be creative, but we've all been trapped in the house. We may get more and more disconnected because we don't all have those common something. Like, oh, you remember somebody tripped and fell? We didn't all see it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's because we're all so far apart, be it that we're all in our homes Mm -hmm. now. Or had been, had been. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, quick shout out to anyone that needs help. Please hit me up and I'll steer you in the right mm-hmm. direction if you're dealing with, uh, you know, some mental traumas during this time. It's been a long year for all of us. So I hope you're taking care of yourselves and you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not self-medicating on too much of the negative stuff. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's better options for you. Um, and if you do need those options presented to you, don't be ashamed. Please hit me up. I'll steer you in the right direction. Hopefully, um, at least I've got I've got some people that are doing their best out there. Um, but you're absolutely right. As a comedian, um, there there are specific like Jim Gaffigan has been doing some really good stuff um, on his Twitter account. I haven't know I don't know if he's been releasing any videos and stuff, but he's been more political than he's ever been before. And that is mm-hmm. and maybe that's who he's going to be going forward. I don't know. But it's it, it it sounds like a distinct possibility because you're faced with you've been faced for the last year of some new trauma, some new horror that we never thought we'd have to deal with. I mean, and when we were locked in our houses and it was the pandemic, that was that was scary and that was new. And then we were blindsided well maybe not blindsided there's definitely a population that's been paying attention for 400 years to the brutality showed against Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Elijah McClain and we we went out into the streets and now we're facing with protesting fighting for the 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 value of human life around 2,000 other people and being shunned and shamed for that as well well, we're all hoping that people survive just because there's something in the air that could kill us. So it's definitely, I mean, this is a terrifying set of 365 days. How has your voice comedically changed since the start of pandemic in terms of when we started locking down? Oh man. Um, I mean, let's just say it's been muzzled. Yeah. Um, cause there's a there's a large part of what's going on that's not really funny um kind of hard to just you know you like you know you you want to put that sugar coat on the pill like an advil um but we know deep down inside this isn't this isn't a good time this isn't a happy place but uh but being able to create has just been so hard because the the ability the creation comes with uh, motion motion creates emotion um when you're out and about and something happens like it's hard to like just imagine i mean i'm not i I haven't been to jail long enough to like really know this is what what it is but imagine being like institutionalized and all you know is what these like the clock like this like that like Mm -hmm. this then when it's time to be creative you only know 
5.30 this, 8.30 that, 10.30 this, 1.30 that. Like, that's all you know. So it's harder to get out of that that cycle. And so and when you don't see people, when you don't see other thoughts, uh, when you don't see new stuff, when you don't see art, when you don't see the abstract, it's harder to create without these things because you're stuck on your same wheel. Like, I just canceled my Apple Music not because I can't afford it or don't want it, it's because I think I'm listening to the same songs over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to title just so I can create a different playlist. Do you think it's like, it's like we're all stuck on this perpetual wheel and it, it's hard to be creative mm-hmm. on the repetition. It's really hard to be creative when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's like having that monotonous job. Mm-hmm. And so where um, hopefully we break out of this and start the roaring 20s off properly, but, you know, just trying to stay comically creative inside of a place where a lot of stuff doesn't necessarily happen unless it's on your phone or on TV, it's a little harder for me to create. Yeah. Ronnell, how has 2020 changed you personally? 2020 was awesome for me, yo. I um I actually like so for me, um, I got into reading um like I'd say like eight or nine years ago. I got really big into reading, but over the past like two or three years, I've been like just knocking books down. And I read a book called like 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. And he said, when people slow down, that's when you go faster. Mm. That's and it, it kind of reminds me of like that Drake verse where he goes, while everybody's uh where everybody's dancing, I'm at home making the music that you listen to. So for me, in 2020, I knew that everybody was going to be at home. So not only did I I change my career, I was doing radio. I got my mortgage license, started doing mortgages. Come to find out it was a great time to get into uh, mortgages because can't nobody go nowhere. Everybody refinanced their home. Doubled my income, bought my home this year. Just bought a home for my birthday uh, back in January. Wow. Uh, so my 2020 was very fruitful. Um, now on the comic comedy side, it was really tough because you couldn't get on stage anywhere. Mm. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't be in a room with 10 plus people. Uh, I didn't have enough people behind me in traction to do the podcast, not the podcast, the, the virtual um, comedy shows. Yeah. People were selling on like Zoom. I, like I, I, I just kind of couldn't do that in the sense of I need the laugh for the non-laugh. Mm-hmm. Like I, something Trevor Noah said, comedy uh, is is like a man with a woman. I, the comic, and is the man, and I can be. I know how well I'm doing based on you, the woman, the noise you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so that's you know, and without that it feels like I'm basically masturbating watching porno. Yeah, and that's not always a good thing. You know. We come, be, we come so. des- desensitized to it. Wait, we're not mm-hmm. talking about and, pornography, so let's talk about comedy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't work without the ability to laugh immediately, to react. And then what sucks is like, like, even with like Dave Chappelle, for example, he can only put out snippets and stuff because Nowadays, you can't say anything twice because it'll be on the internet tomorrow, and that's your whole bit. Yeah. You'll your not say credibility, but like Andrew Dice Clay, mm-hmm. 
his whole bit was kind of routine. He, you go to his shows, the whole crowd would say what he's saying like a musician, mm-hmm. musician, you know. And you don't want that when it comes to comedy. You don't want people to know your jokes. Yeah. You need to stay fresh and stay cool. So putting your jokes on the internet is a little harder, uh, in the sense of <laughs> if you're big, mm-hmm. you need to stay fresh. And it's hard to stay fresh when 10 million people saw your thing the first time. Yeah. Now you only got 320 million people to show this to. Mm. Yeah. How do you build your jokes? Uh, backwards, actually. I um, I I write jokes for me. You know, like uh, actually, I was telling my girlfriend, it's an Eminem quote, but I write jokes for me. Fuck what you like, mm-hmm. and um, and I write jokes backwards. So basically, if if I laughed. I basically go, well, how did I get here? What, what, like, what is now? And I'm not going to say that I'm the best person on the planet. I've laughed at the term dead babies. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not the best thing, but I mean, it's a comic. You got to try, you got to try stuff. You got to try stuff. But uh, for me, I'd start backwards. If something makes me laugh, if something crosses my mind and it, it gives me like a chuckle, I go, how did I get there? Yeah. Then once I have that, then I, Constructing it is almost like writing a rhyme, like writing, like writing a rap. It's literally like, like I can say almost anything at the beginning to just set up the back part. So like, um, is the punchline written automatically? No, but I do know that, like, for example, the joke that I told earlier, um, the, that joke was my life. It was pretty easy, but the premise straight up, I'd love to be a deadbeat dad. Mm-hmm but I can't because her mom beat me to the punch. Mm-hmm. I was laughing, like, you know, like, damn, her mom's not here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Sucks>. <laughs> and then it all kind of came about like shit. Yeah. You know, I, you know I'd, lo- I'd love to be not here, but I gotta be here because it's only me, yeah. you know? And so I, I, I usually start at where I laugh, where something, and I mean, everything's funny, really. I'm, hey, I'm a jokester, mm-hmm. you know? everything's bad so not everything's bad but like everything can everything bad can be funny everything you know can be polished into something that's humorous yeah. but definitely i mean so, there's an angle i mean if i mean i think one of the things that like when you were saying when you were leaving for a moment to go grab your george carlin record i made the comment mm-hmm. i hope it's not napalm and silly putty um oh that's the book yeah, yeah. The book I love the book, except for a specific chapter about how we can make fun of rape, sexual violence. And I'm like, uh, I know you can. I just don't know if you should. And so that's a chapter that I omit every time I pick up that book. It's very funny with or with, with and without that chapter. I don't know because I, I don't read it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think that's I mean. That brings me to a different point. Whereas if it's not, if it's not for you, like if you don't like Drake, you can listen to Travis Scott. And if you don't like Travis Scott, you can listen to Taylor Swift, whatever floats your boat. You don't like, just because it exists doesn't mean you have to let it in. True that. True that. But I mean, there's a part of it where like, even, I guess I go against it in some sense, like where, I don't like CNN. I don't like Fox News, mm. but I keep an eye on both of them because their ears are to, to the two different parts of the streets. Mm. 
they all never come to agreement. But in my mind, I can figure out, I can kind of differentiate the, the bullshit nice. and know what the, the actual problem is. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. need, need them both. And so it's, it, it, for me, I, I like to use like both sides. I mean, I play, I mean, I think, I mean, Dave Chappelle said something that brings it to me, like in comedy, there is a there is somebody for you in, in, in comedy. It doesn't matter if you're a racist, there's somebody for yeah. you. If you're poor, there's somebody for you. If you're, a, uh, if you're a drunk degenerate, there's somebody for you. If you're an honorable business person, there's a comic for you. There's somebody in every spectrum of the world in comedy. And that's what makes the platform or comedy uh, so great. And, and, and being able to, to take life and, and reconstruct it into something humor is, is awesome. Like I actually got a joke. I, I'm working on this one. I'm gonna give it oh, to let's you. Let's do it. Strap in, new shit, All right. new shit. All dogs, right? Mm -hmm. Canine domesticus. They're all European. Native Americans, prairie dogs. <laughs> did you did you drop did you share that with us because I'm Navajo? I do want to know something slightly. Okay. But I had been working. I had been working on that a while ago. I'd been working on it, uh, and so uh, it 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 actually can happen because my daughter went to a school out in Aurora, and they had a big field, and a bunch of prairie dogs ran. And so my daughter, obviously, they said that the they were starting to build houses, and they said that they were re they were relocating the prairie dogs. Mm, a nice word for and I was like, yeah. And I literally turned my head, and I said, they said that to about the American Indians. Oh. Too. Daughter didn't get it, <laughs> but then then the joke slowly made its way. Then yeah. it slowly descended from there. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. So my kid kind of wrote that. Yes, one. they did tell us that they were just relocating us. That's exactly what they were telling us. I know. Trail of tears. A like long that. walk. A whole slew of terrible stories. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we digress. Where do you want to see comedy take you? as it's one of your goals listed behind you, what are, um, what are you trying to do with it? I mean, I'm really just, uh, just, it's really just a platform. It's one of those uh, things like, it's a passion. Mm -hmm. It's just something, it's like a mixtape. Like I'm, I'm gonna keep creating my mixtape until one day somebody goes, oh, I listened to your mixtape. I'm like, oh yeah, I was 10 years old, but I mean, it's still it. I'm, Cause I'm still gonna stick to it. It's something that I'm always gonna do. It's something that I always, uh, kind of revert to even in business. I, I mean, I do mortgages. I still use humor to to reel in the client. I'm a single dad. I use humor to get my children to eat. Yes. Um, you know, I use humor to get my mom to agree to whatever dumb idea I have. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, it's it's been something that I've used to catapult just myself from you know being a young poor black kid just to somebody who traveled the world. I was in Thailand two years ago. Um, we just went to, my girlfriend and I just went to Austin, Texas, just to get away. And we went to Cabo last week. You know, we, we, you know, I'm a traveler, I like it, but it, the only way that that would happen is to be able to mold and change from situation to situation. And my comedy is something that allows me to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to create from the change of situations is, 
something I love to do. Yeah. Nice. What is that ghost light you wish was left on for you? What was that piece of advice you wish you had before you started your career? Don't quit. Because I quit once. Mm-hmm. Like I, I packed it in once. I, like I said, the first time I, I, I did stand up, I, I bombed. Then I took a four or five year hiatus because I didn't have the, the wheels and the tractions to do it. So I would tell anybody, don't take the breaks. Um, even like with golf, like if you take time off, not only do you have to make up for the time you lost, you have to catch up back to where you were before you quit. Yeah. And that's way harder to get back to than, than it was to get there the first time. And so um, once you get, you know, and doing comedy is, you know, it's routine. You got to do it. You got to get up. You got to get the reps in. It's, you know, it's like playing second base or playing the guitar. You know, you only get better with being there, taking reps, taking cuts and, 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 and dealing with, uh, you know, the bullshit that comes with it, you know, the jokes and or the non-jokes, but you have to take it, the travel, the pay, whatever it is, but you got to stick with it absolutely. day in, day out. Ah, it's beautiful. You're absolutely right. Don't quit. Don't quit. Yeah, I mean, if me and you would quit on each other back in middle school, we wouldn't be having this podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, letting all the ghosties know all the exclusive stuff that you're up to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ghosties, my my fam out there, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you for joining us with Ronell Harden, a strong stand-up comedian. We are gonna leave you with a little a little three and a half minute set that he cut for us um after the outro. So please stick around for that. Um, Ronell, where can they find where you're gonna be performing next? You post it on Twitter. Uh, I, well, I, I post it on, um, so on my Facebook page, uh, Rhino Harden, my Facebook, and then I do Radio Ron Easy. That's uh, where I do most of my entertainment stuff. Um, right now, it's been tough kind of finding some uh, stand-up uh, spots, but there's um, the Cairo uh, Ramen spot. Um, they have uh, an open mic, and then there's another one called The Bruz. And that's on Koufax and York over by the goods. Mm-hmm. It's uh, right there by the tattered cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Kwame just bought that. And oh. his uh, Kwame Spearman? Kwame Spearman and his uh, his investment group were, I think, yeah, they just bought it. Oh, my God. Um, he's like a block away from my house. I'm going to go up there and mess yeah. with him. Yeah, I don't even know if he's there. He's uh, he's way up uh, here. Don't worry. He's way uh, up here. But um, makes sense. So yeah, those are a Friday, a Thursday and Friday nights. And then there's a Saturday night one too. I can't think of exactly what it is. So, but uh, just trying to get reps in and uh, do do as much as I can because, you know, it's going to open back up, you know, and when it opens back up, then you want to be ready. Hit them. Got to be ready. You know, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Mm-hmm. True words have rarely been said. Ron Easy, it's your boy, Gil Streasy. Dan, do the damn thing.
I'm from Denver. Um, I grew up actually about 15 blocks up the street uh, in the east side before um, the white people. And, uh, it's, um, it's cool. I mean, it's, it, it's, I, I welcome I welcome all the white people. I love it. They increase my house value. I fucking love it. Um, but um, like before, before, I guess I say like 2003, there was only really two types of white people in my neighborhood. It was either cops or people buying drugs. So you knew that most of them were cops. That's kind of how it showed up. Um, Sunday was my birthday. Um, it, it was a good birthday until yeah, everybody got the news. Uh, it was, I mean, it was kind of rough. But uh, one of my friends, she had called me. True story. She was like, uh, she was like, how was your birthday? I was like, oh, it was good. You know, until you know what happened. What happened? She was like, what happened? I was like, Kobe Bryant died. She was like, what? I was like, yeah, Kobe Bryant died on my birthday, and it's bad. She was like, my birthday's 9/11. Like, oh. True story. She's like, she literally, she was like, people look at my ID and go, aww. <laughs> that's gotta be rough. So I probably won't have to deal with that. That shit sucks. Um, but one thing I did notice about Sunday is that people happen to die before their next birthday all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm 36 years old. Um, I have a 23-year-old girlfriend. Uh, which is great because when I turn 50, I'm still going to have a 23-year-old girlfriend. Uh, but I'm also I'm a single father. Um, I'd love to be a deadbeat dad, but her mom beat me to the punch. So uh, I do this every day. Yeah, I cook, I do the eggs, I wash, I dry. Fucking life sucks. Uh, uh, I got a lot of white friends. Um, my white friends, they always go, Ronnell, let's go camping. Or let's go hiking. And I'm like, no. No, no. If I wanted to go camping or hiking, I'd stop paying rent in my car payment. Do that shit all goddamn day. Even if I'm RTD. Um, so, uh, one more joke before I get out of here. I don't know if I got the light. You can give it to me now. One more joke. Uh, my sister, um, my sister uh, is gay. And about, mm, I'd say about 20 years ago, mm, 18, I don't know how old I am. Um, she, she called me and was like, right now I gotta tell you something. I'm like, what? She's like, uh, I'm gay. I'm like, what? She's like, I'm, I'm gay. I'm like, gay? Like, gay gay? She's like, yeah. I'm like, so you don't like men? She's like, no. I was like, you only like women? She said, yeah. I was like, all right. So tell me this. Have you eaten pussy? She's like, what? I said, have you eaten pussy? She's like, yeah. I said, tell me that shit ain't fun. We <laughs> <laughs> got something in common, man. Thank you.